0: Bibles, if you will, this evening and turn to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis, the fifth chapter. And we're going to talk about a man who walked with God. A man who walked with God. Genesis chapter 5. Now we live in an age of space travel and people having walked on the moon and, and uh, there's a lot of outer uh, space work that goes on. It's a space station project, or uh, of one kind or another. And here recently, of course, uh, we had the the passing, the death of Neil Armstrong, who was one of the first men to walk on the moon. And uh, I want to remind you that long before there ever was an astronaut, there was Enoch the astronaut. Enoch the astronaut, before ever anyone ever dreamed of sailing past the stars and planets, and visiting. Far off worlds, Enoch walked with God, and one day they took a trip, went past the moon and the stars, right into the very presence of God. And Genesis chapter 5 is one of those chapters that we often read through, and we probably read through it quickly uh, if we don't skip it altogether. It's one of the genealogy chapters of the Bible. It starts with Adam. And it ends with Noah and his sons, a total of 11 generations. And as you read the chapter, you can almost hear the, the death bell tolling. Reading through the chapter is almost like walking through a morgue. We read time and time again, and he died. And he died. The chapter reminds us over and over again that it is appointed unto men once to die. As it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. We read in verse 5 that Adam lived 930 years, but nonetheless, he died. In verse 11, we read that Seth lived 912 years, and yet he died. In verse 11, we read all the days of Enos were 905 years, and yet there came a day when he died. I think it was George Bernard Shaw who wrote, the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of every one die. You know, we read name after name here, and then the words, and he died. But there is one exception in the chapter, and that's Enoch. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 and verse 5, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. He was the first grave robber in history and the first astronaut, so to speak. And so we want to consider this man Enoch and learn a few things about him. Now, first of all, think with me about the testimony of Enoch. The testimony of Enoch. Again, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had his, this testimony that he pleased God. You realize that more is said about Enoch in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. He's described in 51 ver- words in the Old Testament, and it takes 94 words in the New Testament to tell about the testimony that he had, that he pleased God. Genesis chapter 5 tells us how he pleased God. Uh, we read uh, twice, once in verse 22, and once in verse 24, that Enoch... Walked with God. You could say that this is the only claim to fame that he had, that he walked with God. You see, we never read about him parting the sea, or raising the dead, or healing the sick, or leading an army. His entire life is summed up in the words that he walked with God. There's nothing greater that could be said about us than that we walk with God. When we're gone, people should say, or they could say, you know, he went to the moon, he ran a large company, he was very wealthy, he was the wealthiest man that ever lived, or maybe he was the President of the United States. But I say to you that the greatest thing that could be said of us is that you or I walked with God. The greatest thing a child could say about his father is that dad walked with God. And the greatest thing a church could say about a member that is, a member of that church, is that he or she walked with God. The greatest thing people you work with could ever say about you is that you lived for God. Someone has said, civilized man has learned how to fly, but he's lost the art of walking with God. And this was not the case with Enoch. Notice two things about his walk. With God. First of all, we see the direction, the direction of his walk with God. I want you to notice very carefully it says here that Enoch walked with God. He walked with God. It did not say God walked with Enoch. You know the, see the difference? Enoch walked with God. It wasn't God walked with Enoch. The idea is that Enoch was going the direction that God was going. When you walk with somebody, you're going in the same direction that they're going. It was not God going in Enoch's direction, but Enoch in God's direction. And so to walk with God means that we're going God's way. When a person says they want to walk with God, they're saying they want to go where God is going and do what God is doing. And I remind you that God always goes to church on Sunday. He even goes to church on Sunday night. He goes to church on Wednesday night. And he goes to every special service. You know, a person cannot say that they're walking with God and never read their Bible, never pray, never witness, never give in the offering. A person that rarely comes to church or misses church on a regular basis cannot say that they're walking with God. To walk with God is to go where He's going and to do what He's doing. You know, we read in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, it says there, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. How did you get saved? Did you work for it? Did you pay right out a check for it? No. By faith, you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so that's the way we're to live, by faith, walking with God. It says in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. That's a powerful verse right there Micah 6 8. It's worth memorizing. So the direction of his walk was with God. We notice the direction. Notice, secondly, the duration. The duration of his walk with God. Now, here in chapter 5, and verse 22, it says, And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. Enoch walked with God for three hundred years. Think about that. Three hundred years. That's one hundred and nine thousand five hundred days. Enoch walked with God. It is not unusual to hear of someone that walked with God a few years and they, then they backed off or they backed out. But what's a blessing is to hear and know that someone has walked for God for many, many years. The songwriter said this, When we walk with the Lord in the light of His word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still and with those who trust and obey. And so we see here, first of all, the testimony of Enoch. Now, secondly, think with me about the transformation. The transformation of Enoch. Again, in chapter 5 here, and beginning in verse 21, it says, And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. If you'll notice very carefully, For 65 years of Enoch's life, it would seem that Enoch did not walk with God. Because verse 22 says that Enoch walked with God after his son, Methuselah, was born. It seems that something happened that transformed his life. You know, it's possible that Enoch was not even saved until the age of 65. It's possible that Enoch was like so many Christians that have never taken their Christian life seriously for much of their life. But after he begat Methuselah, he began walking with God. It seems that it was the birth of a baby boy that changed his life. His life was transformed, you could say, by a baby. Now, what was it about this baby boy that brought him to the place where he walked with God? Well, first of all, it is possible that the birth of his son, he realized his parental responsibility. With the birth of this son, he realized his parental responsibility. One day, Enoch held a little baby boy in his arms, and he realized the responsibility that he had as a father. He looked at that little boy and realized that he would need a godly example. He'd need a good influence. He realized that one day his little boy would go on uh, either to heaven or hell or the way he lived would largely determine which one. And for 65 years, he had lived his own life. He had basically uh, no one but himself to worry about. But now he had a son. And what that son would become and what he would believe had much to do with what that boy would see in his dad. Now, I've seen many a young couple that took the things of God lightly. But when God blessed them with a child, I've seen that couple begin to come to church and become faithful and take the things of God more seriously. Why is that? They realized the importance of how they lived and the impact they would have upon their child. I remember when our first child was born. It was a tremendous blessing, you know, to hold that baby in my, my arms for the very first time. Realize I'm a dad, I'm a father. Boy, that takes on a whole new uh, bunch of responsibility, doesn't it? Someone has written a powerful little poem entitled In Daddy's Steps. It goes like this. There are little eyes upon and they are watching night and day. There are little ears that quickly take in every word you say. There are little hands all eager to do everything you do. And a little boy who's dreaming of the day when he'll be like you. You're a you're the little fellow's idol. You're the wisest of the wise. In his little mind about you no suspicions ever rise. He believes you devoutly holds that that all you say and do, he will say and do in your way when he's grown up to be like you. There's a wide-eyed little fellow that believes you're always right, and his ears are always open, and he watches day and night. You're setting an example every day in all that you do for the little boy who's waiting to grow up to be just like you. Several years ago, there was an article in the New U.S. News and World Report, It was entitled, Delinquency Starts in Homes Like These. In that article, it was reported that studies of delinquency conducted by Harvard University showed that six out of every ten juvenile delinquents had fathers who would drink in excess. Many had mothers who drank as well. Three out of four were permitted by parents to come and go as they pleased. Three out of five were from homes where there was a great amount of discord behind, uh, between the parents. Seven out of ten were from homes where there was no group or family recreation. Four out of five had parents who took no interest in their children's friends. Four out of five delinquent boys said their mothers were indifferent to them. And three out of five boys said their fathers were indifferent to them. Many of them came from broken homes and few got religious training of any kind. You see, if you don't live for God as a father and a mother, don't be surprised if your children don't live for God. If you don't come to church half the time, don't be surprised if your children don't come to church. If you don't take God seriously, don't be surprised if your children take God lightly. A preacher was talking to a group of kids in Sunday school class one Sunday morning. He was asking them the question, why do you love God? The best answer he got was from a young girl that said, I don't know why I love God Preacher. I guess it just runs in the family. I think that was a good answer. Now, we find here that his transformation came about because he realized his parental responsibility. Secondly, he received a prophetic revelation. He received a prophetic revelation. Now, the name of his baby boy was Methuselah. Now, today we pick names because they're popular, and we like them. Or maybe it's a family name. But in the Bible, names always had a meaning. And they sometimes had a prophetic message in them as well. The name Methuselah means, when he is dead, it shall be sent, or it shall come. That's the the meaning of his name. When he is dead, it shall be sent, or it shall come. Now, how would you like to have a name like that? Well, Methuselah, I don't know if I've heard too many children called Methuselah. When he is dead, it shall be sent, or it shall come. What's going to come when he died? Well, the message in the name of Enoch's boy was concerning the flood. God was saying to Enoch, as well as everyone else, that when Methuselah died, the flood of God's judgment was going to come. Now, let's just do a little math. And let me show you what I'm talking about. In Genesis chapter five and verse 25, it says there, "And Methuselah lived 180 and seven years and begat Lamech." At the age of 187, Methuselah became the father of Lamech." We go down to verse 28 and 29, and it says, "And Lamech lived 180 and two years and begat a son, and he called his name Noah. Lamech was 182 when his son Noah was born. Now, if you add 187 plus 182, you get—oh, come on, you gotta be quicker than that. You get 369. All right. Methuselah was 369 when Noah was born. Now, we read in chapter seven. We go to chapter seven and verse eleven. It says there in the sixth. 100th year of Noah's life in the second month, in the 17th day of the month, the same day where all the fountains of the deep broken up and windows of heaven were open. The flood came when Noah was 600 years old. Now if you add 369 and 600, what do you get? 969. We read in chapter 5 and verse 27, And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Methuselah was 969 years old when he died. He died the same year the flood came. Or to put it another way, the flood came when Methuselah died. See, just according to his name, and the meaning of his name. And I believe that very moment Methuselah drew his last breath, the rain began to fall. When he died, it came. I find it interesting that the oldest man who ever lived was Methuselah. Now, do you think that's a coincidence? Absolutely not. Every day Methuselah lived was another opportunity for man to get right with God. Our God is long-suffering, is He not? Methuselah lived longer than any man because God is merciful. God is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish. Now Enoch received in his son a message from God. Judgment was coming. And I believe that each time that boy sneezed, Enoch's heart stopped. Because when he dies, it's going to come. Each time he had a fever... Enoch thought, well, maybe this is the time. We read in Jude, verse 14, it says there, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. You see, I believe Enoch realized the Lord was coming. He realized that he needed to walk with God. Why should we walk with God? Because just as we... got through singing moments ago several songs about His coming again. Jesus is coming, and we will be face-to-face with our Creator, our God, our Lord, our Savior, and I personally believe the only reason Jesus hasn't already come back is because He is long-suffering and is not willing that any should perish. And these truths ought to transform our lives as they did the life of Enoch. So we see the testimony of Enoch. We see the transformation of Enoch. And then thirdly, we find the translation. The translation of Enoch. Go back and look at verse 23 and 24. And it says, In all the days of Enoch were three hundred, sixty, and five years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Also, we read in Hebrews 11:5 5, again, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. After day after day, month after month, and year after year, century after century of walking with God, one day Enoch was translated, and what does this translation mean? Well, first of all, it means he was caught away. He was caught away. here just simply says, he was not. At one point he's there, and then he's not. We have our astronauts, but Enoch was a was-not. One day he was walking along, and suddenly he was not. He was snatched out, caught away, raptured if you please. One old time commentator, G. Campbell Morgan, preacher, said that Enoch and God spent the day walking together and toward the end of the day, God said to Enoch, you're closer to my house than we are to yours, so just come up with me. Now I know another group, uh, another group of was-nots. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And like Enoch, one day there's going to be a great host of was-nots. And you and I could be in that number. He was caught away. Now, secondly, he was carried across. He was carried across. The word translated means to carry over or across. Death is the river that divides the world, this world, from the world to come. Here's a man that did not have, a cross, have to cross that river, but instead God carried him across, if you please. God picked him up, carried him over, and set him down on the other side. Now, when it comes to death, there's nothing about death that a Christian should dread. Spurgeon said, to, to the Christian, death is just God's angel calling me home. Dear old saint of God who had walked with God for many years was near death. His body was racked with disease and pain. And knowing that she was dying and it wouldn't be long, a friend asked, how are you? She replied, I'm almost well. You see, death is but a step from this life with all of its problems into a life in which the former things are going to be passed away. They're going to pass away. But there is a generation that will rob the grave of death. There's a generation that will not have to cross over the river of death, but they'll be carried over by God. Now, As you know, we're coming up to another presidential election. And again, like the last time we had a presidential election, the accusations and the attacks, they're flying fast and furious. You almost get weary listening to it, don't you? And one of the most common accusations that we've heard even in the last uh, election was uh, against uh, our past president that, uh, you know, President Bush took America and her soldiers into war with Iraq and he did so without good exit strategy. In other words, he and his advisors made all the right plans about getting in the, and winning the war, but they made no plans on how to get out. Well, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But it does make sense to me that you need to know how to enter and win a war like that And that you need to know how to get yourself out at the end of the war. I think you need to have a good exit strategy. But I think I'm going to leave the war and all the problems and the unrest that's going on in the Middle East, maybe to the experts. We'll call them experts. But I think there's a need for you and me, though, to discuss this matter of exit strategies. I don't know if you realize it or not, but this life you and I are living will not last forever. In fact, I can guarantee you that it will definitely come to an end someday, according to Hebrews 9, verse 27. It is appointed unto man once to die. If Jesus doesn't come back and take us and catch us away, we're going to come to the day when it's our appointment with death. And since that is true, doesn't it stand to reason that everyone needs a good exit strategy? I mean, we all make our plans for living this life. We buy insurance, we put money in the bank and retirement accounts, and we plan for this and for that. But how many folks spend time on planning their exit strategy, their exit from this world? And our text here tonight tells us about a man who knew how to leave the world. Enoch had developed a great exit strategy. If you haven't taken the time to consider how you're going to leave this world, then there's a word for you to hear today. And in closing, I want us to see that there are three kinds of plans we need to make so we can have a good exit strategy when it comes to our time to leave this world. Number one plan to exit this world saved. Plan to exit this world saved. Now, God uses many events in a life to touch people's hearts to bring them to Jesus. Sometimes people are touched when they think of hell. You know, perhaps we've heard messages on what hell could, will probably be like and what the Bible tells us about hell. And as we think about that, Many times people are saved because of thinking about that. Others react when they think about the love of God and how that was shown at Calvary. Others think of how loved ones who have died and gone on to heaven and and are overcome with a desire to be with them. And still others feel guilty because of their sins and they're drawn to Jesus. This means God uses Various ways to convict a person and to draw him to Jesus, and it really does not matter which way that he uses. The fact that he draws them to him is what is important. For Enoch, it was the birth of a son. He realized, I need to walk with God because I have this responsibility as a father. The main thing is seeing your need of God and then coming to Him for salvation. Do you want a good exit strategy for leaving the world? If you do, be sure to leave it saved. You don't want to leave it any other way. Besides that, there's no better way to leave this world or even to live in this world but to be saved. Number two, plan to exit this world suddenly. Suddenly. Now we're told here that Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. One minute, Enoch was there. The next minute, he was with the Lord. However, however it happened, it surely happened suddenly and without warning. And friends, you and I need to make our plans to exit this world suddenly as well. I guarantee you, no matter how you Uh, How or when you leave, it will catch you off guard. We're never ready for it, are we? It will come suddenly, when you least expect it. It'll take place one of two ways. Number one, it'll take place, could take place through the rapture. The rapture will be a sudden event. It'll be sudden, it'll be selective, and it'll be serious, and it'll be sad. It will be sudden because there's There's not going to be any prior warning other than what we have right here in the Word. Uh, We're not going to get an announcement in the morning, okay, today is the day. Jesus is coming. We're not going to get that. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be selective because Jesus is coming for His children, His people only. It's going to be serious. Because it's going, to end the, uh, it's going to mark the end of the church age and it will signal the beginning of the darkest hour known to mankind, the Great Tribulation. It will also determine where you will spend eternity. And then it will be sad because some will be taken and others will let, be left behind. And if that happened today, would you go or would you stay? You see, it pays to be ready if you expect to go to heaven in the rapture. So the, it's going to be suddenly, and it could be through the rapture, or it could be through death. It could be through death. Both saved people and lost people alike can and are leaving this world through the doorway of death every day, every hour. Death is coming. When death comes, it rarely gives advanced warning. Even when disease has made its... The end inevitable, the exact moment of one's departure is still a mystery. And since death is coming, and since it's coming unannounced, it stands to reason that a person needs to be ready for that moment. You may not know when death will come for you, but you can know where you'll go when it does. If you're saved by grace, then you'll have passed from death into life, and you'll, you'll be in heaven. If you've never been saved, then you're lost in your sins and you'll go to that place called hell. And it's a real place. And if you're lost, you do not have to stay that way. If you come to Jesus, He'll place His life within you and He'll prepare you for leaving this world, whether it be in the rapture or through what we call death. There's a third thing about our exit. And we need to plan to exit this world serving. Plan to exit this world serving. We're told twice here in these verses that Enoch walked with God. That is not Enoch's testimony of his life. That is the testimony of the Holy Spirit concerning Enoch's life. God looked at Enoch's life and he saw a man whose life pleased him. The Bible tells us two things about this man's walk that need to be noted here. The kind of walk that Enoch exhibited is the kind of walk that needs to be seen in your life and my life as well. First of all, he had a visible walk with God. It would seem that Enoch lived a life that demonstrated the faith that was in his heart. He didn't walk one way and then live another But he consistently, constantly, and completely walked with God. He walked with God for 300 years. Think about that. This is the kind of walk we all need today. We should be living a visible Christian life. We should just just settle in and walk consistently with the Lord. We should avoid that life that is hot and cold and in and out and up and down. And we should just walk with the Lord in humility and obedience. That's the kind of life that pleases Him. And so he had a visible walk with God. Secondly, he had a vocal walk with God. A vocal walk. In Jude 14 and 15, it tells us that Enoch was a prophet. He was the world's first prophet. He preached to the people of his generation. He preached about the coming judgment and the need for repentance. And he was a hard preacher with a hard message. He was saved and he wanted others to know about this God he served. He also knew that judgment was coming and he wanted others to to miss it. And as you and I walk through this world, pass through this world we need to do, With the gospel, we need to do so with the gospel on our lips. Yes, we must live out the truth, but we must also to be careful to tell others about Jesus Christ. To tell others about his death and what he can do in our in their lives if we if they will come to him by faith. We're commanded to be a witness. We've been equipped to witness. And therefore, we need to be busy about living a visible, vocal witness for the glory of the Lord. There is a dying world that needs to hear about the living Lord. You know, if we have some unsaved people come through the door and sit in our service, it would be a wonderful thing to have them walk the aisle and get get saved. But you know, that's not the primary reason we have our church here. Our primary reason is to equip saints to go out into that world and to win people to Christ, bring them in, help them to grow. That is the primary Now, I still want to see people saved. I hope we see some people saved next week. And the week after that, and the week after that, we need to see people saved in this church. But that's not the primary reason. Work that we're here about. We're here about growing. Now, what are we doing with what we hear? When we go out those doors, what are we doing with what's been said? How we've learned? We need to have a visible walk with God. We need to have a vocal walk with God. We dare not go out those doors and hide our salvation or keep quiet about it. We need to let other people know and we see them saved. Old Enoch had the right kind of exit strategy. He left this world saved. He left it suddenly, and he left it serving the Lord. What a way to go. Now, how will you leave this world? If you had to leave today, would they be able to say, perhaps at your funeral, that you left this world saved? And if death came suddenly, or if the Lord came for His saints, would you be ready? If you left out of here today, would it be said of you that you left the world still serving the Lord? We need a good exit strategy. I trust each one of us has one tonight. Not much said about Enoch in the Old Testament, but what is said about him here in the commentary in the New Testament is that he was quite a quite a fellow, a, quite a Christian, quite a man that pleased God. And that's what we need to be tonight. Let's pray.